Okay, we're going to continue the other sermon series uh, on the book of Psalms. We've been spending this summer in uh, the Psalms, and so we're looking at Psalm 121 this morning. So you can turn there with me in your Bibles, or uh, we're jumping already uh, to the English Standard Version. So on the back of your worship guide, we have printed Psalm 121 in the English Standard Version, which I'll be reading from and preaching from today. If you do want to use the Bible underneath the chair in front of you, it's a little different translation. It's on page 612. So I'll let you make that choice. But let's uh, now hear God's holy and true word from Psalm 121. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as we now turn to your word, we ask that you would fill us with your spirit, that you would, as Dave prayed earlier, give us eyes to see, ears to hear. Would you use this time to speak to us, to transform us into the likeness of your son, to equip us to run with the gospel to our neighbors and to the nations, that the entire world would be praising the name of Jesus. We pray all these things in his name. Amen. I experienced something this morning that I haven't experienced in a while. Uh, No traffic in Waterford. Okay, seriously, like half of us live there, and it has been unbelievably crazy. Uh, They chose to have, sorry if you're a construction worker, I thank you for your work, but the timing on this uh, is like back to school and only one lane through a place where there's a thousand homes and one road out. Okay, so it's been absolutely crazy, and I've been very tempted to do dangerous and wrong things like you're you know you're kind of you're pulling up there when you're coming through from like the avalon side and um, basically you see this line of brake lights and you kind of want to turn the wheel and drive over the median and the shrubs and the flowers and all that stuff and go the other way and find another route i haven't done that yet if you have i understand okay here's the thing we always when we're when we are suddenly faced with some sort of adversity or challenge uh, I mean, it's just part of our nature. We want out. We want to run. We want to figure out there's got to be some other way. There's no way I have to actually sit on this road through all these brake lights. Or if it's something extremely tragic, we think there's no way I should really have to go through this, right? That's part of our sin nature. That's part of the way that we are as a result of the fall. And it's so important that we understand that about ourselves because even when it comes to our relationship with God, so often we know what God wants us to do. We can see his will in his word. We can see what he wants us to be focusing on, what he wants us to be doing. And then trouble hits. And all of a sudden, it's like we want to just throw everything out the window and do whatever it takes to get ourselves out of that jam, out of that situation. Uh, now, look at this first verse in Psalm 121. He says, uh, I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? And this shows us that 
uh, we're still the same. We're same as they were back then. Because one of the things that scholars think about this passage, this verse, is that perhaps when he says, I lift my eyes to the hills, he is looking at the places where the pagans, the non-believers, would worship their gods, would sacrifice to their idols. Stuff in like Deuteronomy 12, 1 Kings 17, we see the hills and the high places are pictured as the places where the pagans turn to their gods, their false idols that they've made with their own hands. So perhaps the psalmist is at a point where he's facing some sort of adversity and he looks up and he sees the route that they take. I see what they do. And then he asks himself a question. What about me? Where does my help come from? And his response Instead of following after the ways of the world and doing things that the people who don't believe in Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel, instead of doing what they do, he says, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And see, here's the thing. Jesus said it. We're going to have trouble. He said, in this life, you are going to have trouble. And so what we're called to when we hit something difficult is to say My help does come from the Lord. Now, the only way to do that is through faith. The only way that's possible is faith and the power and working of the Holy Spirit to empower us to when we hit some sort of wall, when we hit something, even if it's terribly tragic, it's only by faith, by the power of the Holy Spirit that we can be patient and and maintain focused on God and his word during those times. So here's here's a gospel fact for this morning. Faith in Christ enables us to patiently trust God in times of trouble. And I know for a fact that there are a number of us who are feeling a tremendous amount of trouble, and all of us have and all of us will. So this is very timely and timeless at the same time. Faith in Christ enables us to patiently trust God in times of trouble. We don't have to run off and do the things that non-believers might do. We don't have to try to solve our problems the, might, the way they might. We can stay focused on Christ and what he calls us to and trust him during these hard times. We're going to look at this by uh, really talking about three things as we work through the rest of the passage. So keep your Bible open or your worship guide uh, flipped to that side because we're going to walk right through it. And I want to, if you're making an outline, here's three things we're going to look at. Because of Christ, God is with you. Not waiting on you, not waiting for you to do something. He is with you right now. Uh, Number two, because of Christ, God is protecting you, not neglecting you. And number three, God's priority, because of Christ, God's priority is to eternally guard your soul. God is eternally guarding your soul. So let's start by looking at verses three and four. And again, the reason why we're saying because of Christ is because we look at all of the Old Testament and New Testament through the lens of the cross. And so we, it helps us to understand how this psalm points us directly to him and his glorious grace. So looking at verses three and four, let's talk about how because of Christ, God is with you, not waiting on you. Verse three, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Here's the first thing we want to see this morning. God is with you right now in the midst of your trouble. He's not waiting on you to do something in order for him to help you. God is with you right now in the midst of your trouble. He's not waiting on you to do something. Look at that first part of verse 3. It says he's keeping your foot from moving. It's kind of the imagery of you're on a trail and he's going to keep you from slipping off. It's, it's a picture of him with you, 
holding you, helping you, giving you strength, keeping you steadfast in the midst of some sort of trial or opposition. He's with you. Not waiting on you to do something before he'll help you. And that's then what the psalmist addresses next. Look at the rest of verse 3 and then verse 4. He's talking about slumbering. He's talking about sleeping. And there's this beautiful, both individual, he won't let your foot slip, and then corporate, behold, he who watches over Israel, behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Slumber meaning kind of like dozing. You've been there. Um, and uh, asleep, just being totally out. What he's saying is, our God, our covenant God, Yahweh, the God of Israel, doesn't sleep. He doesn't take naps. And what he's dealing with here is the pagan notion that gods need to be awakened when you need their help. That's what a lot of the pagan religions believed. They believed that they would, you know, they would make their idols out of wood and stone and then take them up to the high places or the hills and they would sacrifice to them and call out to them. And they were very often under the assumption that they needed to wake up their God. When I need help, I need to wake up my God. That was the pagan notion that had permeated some of Israel. And the psalmist is fighting against that. Here's a good example. First Kings 18. One of my favorite, favorite Old Testament stories um, about the prophet Elijah. And when he goes head to head with the prophets of Baal. And basically what happens is Elijah is telling the prophets of Baal that their gods aren't real and that they should turn to the, the true God. And basically, he says, let's, let's have a competition. Let's both build uh, piles of wood, and you can ask your gods to light yours on fire, and then I'll ask mine to light mine on fire, and we'll see who gets warm. And so basically, uh, the, uh, here's what happens. The, the prophets of Baal put their altar together, and they're crying out to him, uh, crying out to Baal, saying, Oh, Baal, help us, answer us, and nothing's happening. So here's what uh, Elijah does. It says, at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, cry aloud, for he's a God, little g. Either he's musing or he is relieving himself. That's in the Bible. (laughs) Or he's on a journey or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. You see, Elijah knew that they thought they needed to wake up their gods, if they were going to get help. And Elijah knew his God, the true God, the one and only true God, is not sleeping. He needs not to be awakened. And so they go on and continue to shout, and they start cutting themselves with swords, and nothing happens. And then, uh, just to tell you the rest of the story, Elijah then says, okay, my turn. And he says, before I ask God to burn this thing, will you pour water on it a bunch of times? They do, and then it lights on fire, because our God is the real God. Now, The point, though, what I'm showing you is that there was this notion among the false religions of the world that your gods need to be awakened when you need them. And what the psalmist is desperately fighting against here is that idea. Our God does not want us to wonder if he's sleeping. Our God wants us to know that he is with us, not waiting on us to do something. And here's how we know we fall into that old pagan notion of awaking our God. When trouble hits, why is it? Why is it that when we are facing something huge, that's when we say, I need to start praying more. I need to read my Bible more. I'm going to do more evangelism now. I'm going to give more. I'm going to wake up God. Sound familiar? I've been there too. 
Now, God does want us to read our Bible, of course, and he wants us to pray and he wants us to do evangelism. He wants us to do all of these things, but not in an effort to get his attention, not in an effort to get him to help us. He is here. He is with us right now. He is helping us. He doesn't need to be awakened. He's real. And the other thing about this is when we fall into that, we we can cheapen our obedience because if we're trying to get all holy so that we can get God's attention and wake him up so he can get us out of this jam, we're missing it. God wants us to grow in our holiness so that we have the joy of being like his son, not so that we can trigger his help. He is with us right now, even in the midst of our troubles, even when we can't really feel it. So we've got to get rid of this idea where when trouble hits that we would say something like, God will help me as soon as I... Insert spiritual accomplishment here. Let's get rid of that. And whenever trouble hits, my help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. That's what we're being called to right here, to know that he's with us. He is watching over us. He is our help right now. He doesn't need to be awakened. And think about this. God is our father. We were swimming yesterday at our friend's house, and Hattie is one and so she uh, wears this little yellow inner tube when she's swimming. And then when she, that's my daughter, uh, when she is not swimming, she's walking around with this little yellow inner tube because it's got like this strap so it stays on her wherever she goes. And it's pretty cute. But um, basically one time she uh, was near the edge of the pool and she, uh, this is not yesterday, there's another time, and she fell in but she was upside down. So her legs are up in the air dangling and she's underwater. Here's what I didn't do. Hattie's in trouble. I wonder if she's cleaned her room. Right? Like a bullet, I'm over there flipping my daughter upright and patting her on the back so she can spit out the water and I'm kissing her and I'm telling her I love her and I'm telling her I'm, telling her I'm right here, I'm with you. I'm not waiting for you to do something, Hattie. I'm with you. That's our father. That's our God. So even when it doesn't feel like it, we've got to know our help comes from the Lord. He's with us, not waiting on us to do something. Uh, so when it doesn't feel like it, because very often it doesn't feel like it, we go through things that hurt, that are ridiculously tragic, then what do we need to realize? That's what he talks about next. Uh, look at 5 and 6, and we'll talk about how because of, because of Christ, God is protecting you, not neglecting you. He's protecting you. Not neglecting you. Five and six. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. Listen, here's the next thing we need to see. God allows us to go through things we would never choose in order to protect us from the worst things. God lets things happen to us that you and I would never choose to go through in order to protect us from the worst things. Let's see how this comes from the text. Look at those verses. Uh, notice this reference to the sun shall not strike you. The moon shall not strike you by night. Uh, here's the, the, what this is referring to. Uh, in the Middle East, where the Hebrew people were, it's very hot, much like Florida. And so one of the things that the Israelites really needed to be careful about was being outside in the sun for too long uh, when your, your, your body temperature can rise to the point where you actually have a stroke and die. So this is a reference to one of the worst things an Israelite could think of, which would be death by sunstroke. Now, at the same time, uh, he talks about not being uh, hit by the moonlight at night. Where does that come from? Well, another 
pagan notion that had kind of slipped into some of the beliefs of Israel was the idea that uh, the moonlight would make you go insane. And so the psalmist knows he's dealing with people who are afraid of dying by sunstroke and they're very afraid of going insane. That's the worst that they can think of in their mind. Okay. And so now when we look at this in light of the cross, it actually expands it to, to help us understand it in an ultimate sense that God is protecting us from the worst possible things, which would be hell being eternally punished without him. That would obviously be the worst possible outcome of our lives. And then also uh, during this life. Complete monotony. Let me let me explain what I mean. Think about this. Look at verse five again. The Lord is your shade. That means the Lord is protecting you from these things, from the blazing heat and from this whatever it is about the moon that they they were thinking could drive you insane. He's protecting you. And number one, Christ is that shade. This is why this points right to the gospel, because when Christ was on the cross, he was receiving God's blazing heat wrath. So that you and I could stand behind him and never experience the wrath of God. He is our shade. So he has already protected us from the worst possible outcome being hell. But not only that. He also is our shade from a totally monotonous life. Here's what I mean by that. Uh, when we put our faith in Christ, those of us who have faith in Christ, we have been forgiven of all of our sin because when Christ was receiving God's blazing wrath, he was paying for our sins. And then he gave us his righteousness. Not only that, though, now he gives us his Holy Spirit. And we talk about this a lot. It's so important that we talk about this. Because it's having the Holy Spirit inside of us uh, that, that, that is both guaranteeing that our sins have been forgiven, but also that's where we are transformed. The Holy Spirit is working inside of us to make us more like his son. He's breaking us free from a life of insanity. A popular culture, a pop culture definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over and expecting different results. And. If you think about that, this is this is amazing that the Holy Spirit's work in in making us more like Christ. He is breaking us out of these ruts that we get into, these sin patterns that we can't seem to get over. And he he sets us free from that. He sets he sets us free not only from the penalty of sin, but the power. So Christ is our shade from a life unchanged. The two worst things we could think of in light of the cross, in light of what the Bible teaches, the two worst things we could think of would be to go to hell or secondarily to live a life not changed at all and to live in that monotony and that that mire of sin. And so it's this beautiful picture of him delivering us from both of those things. But the thing is, if we if we realize that, that he's protecting us from the worst, then we have to realize that part of the hard, difficult struggles that we face in this life is actually part of God's plan for us to protect us from the monotonous, unchanged life. Paul knew this. The Apostle Paul. Let me remind you what he says. I'll put it on the screen. Let me remind you what he says in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. 
Now, you've seen this verse a lot. It's a famous verse. It's a coffee cup and T-shirt verse. But I want you to see. I want you to see what he says before we get to the well-known part. Look at this. Verse 7. So, to keep me from becoming conceited. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. To keep me from becoming conceited. He says it twice. Uh, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made uh, perfect in weakness. Therefore, he says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, Paul is revealing to us there that the reason that we go through these very difficult things is not because God is neglecting us. It's because he's protecting us. He has protected us from his wrath in Christ. And now he's protecting us from an unchanged life. He was using that thorn in Paul's flesh to make him more humble, to make him more like Christ. And Paul rejoices about that. It's what, what we might call a severe mercy. When we go through something rough, but on the other side, we come out looking a little bit more like Christ. I, um, I can tell you this from Scripture, but I can tell you from my own experience as well. Um, some of you are aware of this, uh, probably the youth too, and, uh, or the youth especially. Um, one of the hard things I went through, not the hardest by far, but one of the hard things I went through in my life, and actually caused me to wonder, is God neglecting me? Um, in high school, I had a pretty ferocious battle with acne. And then in college, it didn't, hadn't stopped. So my parents thought it's time to get some heavy artillery. And we went and got out the, uh, most, the strongest medication available. And um, so I entered into a very difficult time in my life um, because the medication sort of backfired. And my face began to be completely covered in, um, I mean, let me put it this way. One time I described it in detail in a youth retreat, and one of the students had to leave the room because she got sick. So I'm not kidding. Um, I'm not going to do that this morning. You're welcome. But this was a time where I I couldn't look in the mirror I didn't want to go outside of my dorm room. Uh, When I did, I thanked the Lord that I lived in Buffalo, New York at the time because it was cold enough to wear a scarf and people didn't wonder why. They wondered when I didn't take it off in class, but that's another story. Now, this... So I'm hurting and I'm thinking, how can God possibly love me? How How could he possibly let me go through something like this? Eventually, it healed. All that's left is the scars on my face. Some of you have seen those, and I cherish them. Um, Here's the thing. Later in my life, I was able to have a conversation with a pastor who understood the sovereignty of God. We began to talk, and through that, I realized something about that. This very difficult trial that I had gone through in my young life and and, and realized that uh, it had changed me. Primarily in the way that whenever, even to this day, I see someone who's got some sort of 
uh, either acne problems or something going on with their face or their body that is interesting and that people want to look at and they don't look in their eyes. I went for six months without eye contact. I know how that feels. And when I see people that are that have anything going on, I, I, I want to run up to them. I want to be their friend. I want to hug them even if they don't know me. I'm like, this is awkward, but trust me, you need it. And it's, 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 it's this amazing privilege that I have now. And especially to look them in the eyes, I know how people who have, especially people who have things about their face, they rarely get eye contact. And so I love, I've, I've done it. I've gone up to strangers and just looked them in the eye and talked to them about the weather just to, just to look them in the eyes, to give them that eye contact. And basically what that means, would I have done those things before I went through that? No. But on the other side of it, God had made me a little more compassionate, a little bit more like his son. And so would I go through it again? A thousand times. God is protecting you. He's not neglecting you. And whatever it is that you are wrestling with, that you are struggling with, you have to realize he's already protected you from his wrath by sending his son to take it for you. And now he's protecting you from a monotonous, unchanged life where you don't get to experience the joy of growing more and more like your perfect savior. He's protecting you from the worst. So with those things in mind, we know that our help comes from the Lord and that he is with us, not waiting on us. And he's protecting us, not neglecting us. And finally, let's look at seven and eight. He is eternally guarding our soul. Seven. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Take your pen and circle all the times you see keep in this passage. Unless you're using the Bible under the chair. Don't do that. Sorry. Um, On the back of your worship guide, there's six. That's the main emphasis here of this passage. That God is keeping your soul safe. For when Christ returns, God, here, here's the, here's the thing I want you to, we need to, the last thing we're taking away today. No matter what happens, your faith is the guarantee that God is keeping your soul safe for the day Christ returns to make all things new, including you. He's keeping you safe for that. He's, he refuses to let go of you. All these things that are happening are part of his plan and, it, and it, is, it is part and partial with what he's doing in keeping you safe for that day. He's keeping your life safe. Now that line is, can be confusing. Verse 7, he will keep you from all evil. That's not saying that evil will never happen to God's people. Jesus is proof of that. Paul and the apostles are proof of that. You're proof of that because evil happens to you. What it's saying is that even in the midst of this evil that we experience, evil will not have the final Say, evil does not win. Christ wins. Christ won. And he's continuing to win. What that means is even amidst all this evil that we have to experience in this life, he's keeping us. What is he keeping? Our soul. Safe for eternity. Uh, this word in the Hebrew is translated either, either way. It's life or it's soul. So when it says he will keep your life, it's saying he will keep your soul. That's the picture. And when we realize that, when we think about the fact that Jesus has said things uh, like he said in John 10, where he said, my my sheep know their my uh, know my sheep know my voice. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No, not one of them and not one of them can be snatched out of my hand. When we hear him saying these things that he's keeping us, we know 
We know how valuable, valuable our soul is. And the more we look at the life in, in the, realizing that we're, we're in the short, temporary part of our eternal life. There's so much comfort knowing that what, what, what awaits us is this perfect place where we're all made perfect and we experience no evil whatsoever. Look at that last line. Uh, it says, the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. And we think so much, we spend so much of our time thinking about the this time forth. And we've got to think about the forevermore. The forevermore that will come. No suffering, no crying, no mourning, no tears. Forevermore. And when we remember that, it helps us endure during this time, knowing that he is keeping our soul. He's keeping our soul safe. Jesus went without help on the cross so that you and I, every day of our life, no matter what we're facing, can say, my help comes from the Lord. Let's pray. Father, it is hard to trust you when things are difficult. And so we just ask for you to show us more and more uh, who you are and how you operate and that your ways are not our ways and um, that we, when we can't trace your hand, we can trust your heart. Uh, thank you. We, we praise your name for uh, saving us, for sending Christ our shade to, to save us from the wrath that we deserve. And thank you that you leave us not here in an unchanged state but you're protecting us through your Holy Spirit and changing us, even through some of the most difficult things we've ever been through. Let us trust you. And then as we see, as you reveal to us more and more about how you are using these difficult things to glorify your Son in us, uh, let us proclaim it. Let us proclaim to those who are out in the world, without hope in the world, trusting in things that, that, that cannot help them. Let us proclaim the glory of Jesus Christ. Let us proclaim our shade that the disciples or that the nations would be made of disciples, that we would make disciples of all nations. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.